Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's Dina Calmetta here and Susan Davis with Jesus 24-7. And today we're going to continue in the series, The Book of Daniel for Beginners. We are on chapter 11, part 2. This is a very big chapter, but a very interesting chapter. And thank you so much, Susan, for coming on here and explaining these verses to us. Susan does a verse-by-verse study, so there is no confusion. And so I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm happy to be back. Uh, We are going to look at chapter 11 of Daniel, and we're doing it in two parts at least because we've uh, got a lot. This is an action-packed chapter of the book of Daniel. Daniel's a very prophetic book. And this particular section that we're in today is really looking at the future Antichrist. Okay, that's where we are. That's what this is about. And in order to get the whole picture, Dina, we're going to kind of review a little bit of what we covered last week. And then we're going to, you know, come into the new section that we haven't covered yet. But we're going all the way back to chapter 11, approximately in verse, I'm going to say 26 and a little bit before that. And I'll tell you what's going on here. We're looking at a character in history who was a form and type of the Antichrist. Now, these verses are things spoken to Daniel through angelic, and they are 135 prophecies given to Daniel, and they have all come together, 135 prophecies from this particular chapter, which is just phenomenal as far as, like, is is this book prophetic and accurate? Absolutely, to the penny, okay? But in this one section that we're dealing with, we're talking about a Syrian leader that Daniel foretells in his prophecies here that is forthcoming now from the time Daniel spoke this. Now, what we saw the last time we covered this area was we saw Egypt, which is the king of the south, and we saw Syria, which was the king of the north, and they were always fighting back and forth, back and forth. The Holy Land is in between these two warring countries, and over time, you know, they get caught up in these wars that are going on. They're kind of in the middle of it, and, you know, sometimes different countries turn their focus on the Holy Land and wreak havoc on that. Okay, so this section that I'm referring to is no different. We've got a leader who is the Syrian leader, and his name is Antiochus Epiphanes. And he is always has been fighting with, he's considered the king of the north, and he's fought with the king of the south, who is Egypt. And a couple times in the past, he was beaten And, you know, most recently in the scripture, he was beaten by the Egyptians with the aid of the Romans. The Romans came forward to help Egypt beat Antiochus Epiphanes. And what happens is he's raging mad because he suffered this great defeat. And he turns his anger, resulting from that, towards the Holy Land, Jerusalem, and the Jews. And how he does it... 
we're going to take a look at this because he is definitely, in Bible scripture, a form and type of the Antichrist to come. There's a lot of parallels between him and the Antichrist to come. And one of them is that he's Assyrian and that future Antichrist is called the Assyrian. And no surprise there because they have a lot of in common. Okay, so taking a look at what, you know, he comes into Jerusalem, he plunders Jerusalem. He also tries to convert the Jews, forcing them to follow a Greek culture, forsaking their own customs. Now, a lot of the Jews during that time fell for it and turned their back to God in favor of this Greek worship of gods. So if we go to verse 31, and I'll show you how important it is that we cover this again. It says, And arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that makes desolation. Okay, what is this exactly? Here's why this is important to review. Antiochus Epiphanes, the Syrian, he sets up an image of Zeus and Jupiter, or Jupiter. Zeus is the Greek version, and Jupiter is the Roman version, basically of the same god, at the temple altar of the Jews, demanding sacrifice to this image. And later, he sacrifices a pig to this Greek god, and it's considered the abomination of desolation. Why? Because the act was so repulsive to the Jews you know, this goes on in their holy temple, that it creates desolation. So then the temple becomes unclean. It's unclean after this occult event. And why is this the occult? Well, go forward into scripture, into Revelation, to see exactly what this is about. And what it is about is we go into Revelation 2, and want to look at that, and we want to talk about what Jesus calls the seat of Satan. Okay, we're going to Revelation chapter 2, verse 12, and this is what it says. And these are Jesus' words. He speaks here, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things to say against thee, because thou hast there them held the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice unto idols, and to commit fornication. Okay, we're going to stop right there. This is very serious information right here. We're talking about Pergamos, and that's, I believe, in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. But here's the situation. They were worshiping in what Jesus calls where Satan dwelleth. It's where Satan's seat is. Okay, modern-day archaeologists will tell you that that was the temple of Zeus in Pergamon. And how does that tie into what we're doing here? Okay, it's the same god that they were forced to sacrifice to and worship in the temple in uh, verse 31. It's the same, you know, Greek god. Antichus Epiphanes is forcing them to, to be involved in. Now, who is Zeus and who is Jupiter? Okay, they're one and the same, I believe. One is a mythological god of the Greeks, Zeus, 
which Jesus is making reference to as Satan, and Jupiter is the Roman version. They're both listed as mythological gods, but to me, they are just really stories of the fallen angels. I believe the mythological characters are carried down from the lineage of, you know, Noah's three sons, and they are fallen angels. Exactly. But we can we can see that this is true because in Revelation 2, it refers to Zeus as being Satan. And it's fascinating, Dina, because if you look into Greek mythology, Zeus was considered god of the sky, which lines up with Satan as the prince and principality of the air. He was also the chief deity of all the gods and humans, which lines up with Satan being over the demonic the other falling angels as well. And then he later reappears as Jupiter as the Roman god. And the Romans also refer to him as the sky god over all aspects of life. And so that is their god that they worship, and it is, you know, Satan, according to Jesus. So what was Pergamon? So we're skipping ahead. Now, what was Pergamon, and how is that important to what happens here in Daniel? Okay, not only was it the seat of Satan in Revelation, Pergamon means polygamy, and that is the church, you know, which is polygamous and getting involved in worshiping various, either God and, you know, also these other entities. This is considered evil. This is the occult. This is what the occult is. The occult is anybody who pays homage to anything that is supernatural that is not God is the occult. That's what the definition of the occult is. And if you go and you see what is the seed of Satan, it was the temple of Zeus. Now, does that temple exist today? Yes, it does. Because in 1910, that temple was taken apart and moved to Berlin. It was shipped to Berlin, and they built a museum to house it. And if you go and you take a look at this temple, which is the seat of Satan, you will see friezes around it. Now, what are the friezes? Well, they're kind of sculpture-like panels that are on the sides of the temple. And if you study those friezes, and Dina's going to put some pictures up, you will see. You will see characters that look like Satan. They're half man, half snake and other demonic images and this is all you know this is all exactly what jesus spoke of and is related to what happened to the jews you know when they were forced into the situation by antiochus epiphanes it's the ongoing battle between good and evil between satan and god's people it just it keeps going now how significant is all of this well i want to tell you something about pergamon just really quickly Pergamon was also the center of temples and theaters and gymnasiums and libraries, and they even had a spa and healing center. And they had a Greek god called Asclepius, and he was there in charge of an ancient healing center. And this was run by the Greeks. Now, Dina, you're going to find this fascinating because Asclepius was this god who had a symbol of a stick with a snake on it. And the snake was coiled up because he was the god of serpents. And back then, he was, you know, part of something called the Argonauts. And they were experts in drugs and potions and poisons. And, you know, they used the snake symbol as a kind of medical and toxology symbol. This same symbol was adopted in other, in, in medical history by the U.S. Army. 
for instance, adopted the symbol. And it comes from the 7th century alchemists who claim to be sons of these heirs over these Greek gods, like Hermes and other Greek gods of this period, this time period, who claimed that they received insight from snakes. In fact, the healing center and spa in, in Greek Pergamos, they would have people would go into a room full of snakes and the snakes would crawl over them. And then after that period, they would go and meet with a priest and then they would tell them what they heard, what the spirits told them as the snakes were crawling over them on how to go about healing. And so, you know, the other symbol comes from the Greek mythology, which is the Caduceus. And that's where you see the stick, the stick with two snakes intertwining. That is the symbol of many medical locations now. And that's and that actually stands for Hermes, who is the patron of thieves and outlaws and also uh, merchants. But that has been adopted in a lot of our medical use today. But the one Greek god I mentioned, Asclepius, and the rod with the snake, who is the snake serpent god, that is the symbol of the World Health Organization today. So all these symbols are derived from the occult. But let's take a look at this temple of Zeus, the seat of Satan. And I want to just say that that temple, which was moved to Berlin, has quite the history. Because I just want to say that at a point in time, Adolf Hitler, when he was first given power in political power, he stood before the Temple of Zeus in Berlin and gave his first political speech. Now, years later, Barack Obama wanted to do the same, but they wouldn't allow it because of the, the media entourage and the museum wouldn't allow that but hitler adopted on more than one occasion the staging of a stage that's very similar to the temple of zeus which is you know with regards to satan the seat of satan and the same for barack obama when he did his first political speech as the uh, democratic party party leader for president his stage was made uh, almost identical to the Temple of Zeus. So this all goes back to what Jesus spoke of in Revelation, and it also takes us back to the situation with Antiochus Epiphanes. And what was the result of him taking over the Holy Land area? Well, in verse 33 of Daniel, we want to see that Antiochus Epiphanes, not only did he remove things from the temple, take things from the holy temple and did he worship make them sacrifice a pig to zeus in that temple it also includes that he killed history says eighty thousand jews as well as taking forty thousand as prisoners and sold an additional forty thousand to be slaves and so he was definitely a form and type of the antichrist the plunder that he stole from the temple in today's calculations numbers about a billion dollars in modern modern monetary value and so that was what happened to him okay so i wanted to bring this all this information together to kind of connect the dots so to speak of what all this means basically how it all connects in the bible and to modern day 
life where we are. The whole concept of pharmacia and sorcery and how this is connected to the occult past. Because one thing's for sure, that the evil today is just repackaged evil from ancient evil. There's nothing new under the sun, so it's just repackaged, regurgitated, and that's exactly why we go back and we study things like this in the Bible. Okay, so we're going to go forward to the last part of chapter 11 here and take a look. What does this all mean? Let's go to verse 36 now, and it says, And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that that is determined shall be done. Okay, I want to just say right here guys that this is about the antichrist to come and that's who daniel's speaking of right here and if we can just go over to revelation in chapter 13 now revelation chapter 13 if you go back to our series revelation for beginners and you get to that section you're going to know that revelation chapter 13 is all about the antichrist and the false prophet and that's where we're going to right now because I want to show you how near the scripture in John's revelation is to Daniel's section here. And we'll, we're going to read from Revelation chapter 13, verse 4 and 6. Let's take a look. And it says, And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven and it was given unto him to make war with the saints to overcome them and to power was given to him over all kindreds and tongues and nations and so this is describing the same individual that we see daniel describing here in verse 36 the, what is the connection right here in verse 5 it says and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and then over here in verse 36 it says and he shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods okay it's basically saying identical thing what are the great and the marvelous things that both prophets say about the antichrist that he's saying well they're not saying oh these are wonderful great things Things he's doing when they say marvelous and great they're talking about it's you know incredible <laughs> incredible horrible things that he says about god they're so marvelous and great that it's hard to fathom that anybody would say such things to god or about god and that's what that is in reference to now 37 says here neither shall he regard the god of his fathers nor the desire of women nor regard any god for he shall magnify himself above all and, you know, we don't know yet what some of this means. And any conjecture that we make at this point about who the Antichrist is going to be is, you know, exactly that. It's guesswork. And so I think we'll just say, well, you know, he's predicted this. 135 prophecies have already come together. Uh, there's no question that this is going to come to pass, exactly as described here. Verse 38 says, But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold 
and silver with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. Okay, well, who is that strange God? Well, that's Satan, because it's not God that he acknowledges is not our God. Uh, it is the enemy of God. And you know, we go on and we see that he shall divide the land for gain. Well, absolutely, that will happen. And uh, that will be a division of Israel. And we're already here plenty about that. Right now in politics, we're regularly hearing about the dividing of Israel. And it will be the Antichrist who succeeds in this action. He is going to be able to convince them to be involved in a peace treaty. And they'll fall for it. They're going to fall for it. You wonder how that's possible. Well, Satan caused a third of the angels who are in heaven to fall and to follow him to their destruction. And we see also at the end of the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ, after tribulation, Jesus reigns for a thousand years. And then for a short period of time, Satan is released. Now, don't ask me why, but it happens. And then again, he deceives so many. And at that time period, people have been with Jesus for a thousand years. There will be numbers like the sand of the sea that fall for his deception and go against God, even at the end of the thousand-year reign of Jesus. So he'll easily deceive these people. They'll easily fall for him and his dialogue, just as angels fell and people who have been with Christ for a thousand years will fall. He'll be very cunning and deceptive. And so uh, let's go to 40, verse 40. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. Okay, the king of the south here is Egypt and Arab nations together. And we see that listed in Ezekiel 38, 5 through 6, and Persia will be among them. Now, Persia is modern-day Iran and Iraq. Ethiopia will be part of that group. Libya and Togermah, and that is modern-day Turkey. And then Isaiah 17.1 says Syria will be there, of course. And then Psalm 83, 4-8 says Edom, Moab, Ammon, and that is Georgia, okay? And then we'll also see Gibal and Tyre, and that's modern-day Lebanon, and then we'll see the Philistines, then that is uh, modern-day Palestine, the Palestinians, okay? So these will be among the scripture here when it speaks of the king of the south. Okay, now what would be the king of the north that shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots? Who's going to come against the Antichrist? In addition to all those groups I mentioned, it'll be the king of the north, and that is Russia. And we see that in Ezekiel 38.15 and also Ezekiel 39.2, and also Jeremiah 1.13, 6.22, and 10.22. If you want to take some time to look up some of that scripture, you'll find out that, you know, this is in reference to Russia. 
And verse 41 says, He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. Okay, we're talking about modern-day Jordan there. 42 says, He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. 43 says, But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. And 44 goes on, but tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. And 45 says, and he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountains. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. Okay, well, let's take a look at that little section there I just read. And what we're talking about from verse 40 on is referring also to Ezekiel 38:16, where the Antichrist sits in the temple of the mid point of tribulation and he declares himself god and because at this point satan has been thrown down to the earth he has a wound and is resurrected back to life he is a we call it a fatal wound and the antichrist who will be possessed by satan he will reside in the temple and so we see antiochus epiphanes was a form and type of the abomination of desolation which was kind of foretelling evil taking over the holy temple and that's just exactly what's coming here and the temple will be considered unclean because satan has moved in essentially and so then the antichrist takes on russia and the Arab Unified Federation of Countries. And then Russia flees to Siberia, okay? And we see that in Joel 2.20. And he does this to nurse his wounds because he's they've lost in a terrible war. Now, that would be the first of three wars that takes place. And basically, Russia, like, you know, returns to Siberia with its uh, tail between its legs from a terrible war defeat the second war that we see happening here, the Antichrist is on a mid-tribulation rage. He comes together, uh, China and Russia come together joining forces to go against the Antichrist. And it, this is where we see the, the Oriental Chinese army of two million man army forming. And that can be read if you want to go back to Revelation 9.16. And so the Antichrist is killed during the Gog-Russian attack, and the world is amazed. And, and that is Revelation 13.3, and the world is amazed as worships the Antichrist, and that's also in Revelation 13.8. So Revelation 13 gives you all kinds of insight about the Antichrist, just like this scripture here. We see that he plants himself between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, and that's in verse 45 here in Daniel. What are those seas? Okay, I'll tell you. It's the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean. And this is his headquarters for the remaining three and a half years of tribulation, which is also known as, a.k.a. Great Tribulation. And you'll find information on that in 2 Thessalonians 2.14. Okay, and then finally, Russia with China invades the land of unwalled villages, 
And that we see in Ezekiel 38:11, we can go forward, and and this is the third wave of war will be the culmination of all these countries joining forces to go against God, and that is you know the final chapter of the Bible in Revelation, and we call that Armageddon. And so there's a lot of scriptures that make reference to that. I'll list them here for you. Can't read them all because of lack of time, but it's Revelation 16:16, 16, 16, Joel 3:1 through 2, Zechariah 14:2, and Revelation 19:11 through 20. And so you can check that out on your own. But what's really fantastic about all this is it all lines up. It all comes together. It's seamless the way Daniel and other parts of the Bible, throughout the Bible, in Ezekiel, and also in Revelation, all of it comes together and uh, completes the full picture of what's to come. So we have you know, basically in Daniel, the section we just read, there are three major waves of war that happen during tribulation. And like I mentioned, you know, the Russia goes forward with the Arab communities, and then Russia leaves and goes to Siberia to nurse its wounds. And we also see a second wave of war with the Antichrist, where Russia joins forces with the, the two million man army. And then we see the final army, and that is having to do with Armageddon, where these armies line up against Israel in the, in the end. But Jesus comes back in the second coming with his saints that went out with him in the rapture, and they come back together, and it's only Jesus that stops all of this with the words of his mouth, and he's the one that puts this all to rest. And so it all comes together in the end. But it's amazing that we see Daniel foretelling this so many centuries ago. I believe it was back in somewhere, I think it was about 539 B.C., that we see uh, Daniel first get this amazing, I want to say, this amazing prophecy that we get in chapter 11. And it's just fantastic how all of this comes together. It's, I mean, you know, the Bible is so accurate, it, it's, it makes your head spin. You know, it's 539 B.C. was when Daniel received these prophecies, and that's 539 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, and he foretold it. It came, and it is currently coming together. You know, God knows the beginning from the end, and I think we can be totally confident of that, and I'm excited to tell you that if this doesn't build up your faith and encourage you about the future, I'm not sure what would. I mean, it's going to be hard times ahead for those who do not follow the Lord, and this should be incentive for everybody to turn their lives over to the Lord Jesus, definitely, and do it today. You know, today is not too soon. Amen. So anyway, that's it. Unfortunately, we're probably short of time to go any further in depth in this, but I certainly recommend that you do because there's a lot more information you can glean from all of this. Amen. Well, Susan, thank you so much for being so thorough and explaining these verses to us and this entire chapter. It was huge. I mean, two parts. So thank you so much. And thank you to all the listeners who have tuned in to the show. Um, this you will be able to find on Susan's uh, YouTube at Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And over there, you'll be able to find it on the Jesus 24-7 playlist and it also has its own playlist, the Book of Daniel for Beginners. 
And in addition to that, um, you'll be able to find it on her Facebook pages. Uh, one group that, that has grown, bounded in numbers, is Rapture is Very Soon. So uh, go and check out that group. Join it. Join us there. Also, this will be available on podcast. And of course, here on my channel, as well as our Rumble channels and BitChute. So, um, and also leave your comments below this video. We'd love to hear from all of you. And Susan, of course, is there anything else you'd like to add? Right. Well, thanks for all your efforts on this project, Dina, as well. Thanks to you. And also, you really have to go to our series, Revelation for Beginners. It's a great adjunct to the Book of Daniel for Beginners project. These two books really go hand in hand and support each other. And so I highly recommend that you check that series out as well, if you haven't already. Amen. Yeah. Awesome series, you guys. Well, again, thank you to everybody. Thank you, Susan. Thank you to all of you who have tuned in and be on the lookout for the next segment of the Book of Daniel for Beginners, Chapter 12. All right, everybody, God bless and stay safe.